True Crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary Pippi. First of all, I hope you are all having a wonderful week so far. If not, that sucks. I hope it gets better for you. This week's episode, we kind of have a hybrid episode. Piggybacking off from last week's episode where I did a deep dive on bullying and the effects of bullying on those who have been bullied and those who do the bullying, Um, I wanted to discuss this particular case and I was fortunate enough to be able to sit down with the mother of the person involved in this case. So we have part case like normal episode and then part interview so without any further ado let's get into Mallory Grossman's story a quick trigger warning before I get into Mallory's story Um, we will be discussing suicide the death of a child and bullying and cyberbullying so please be advised on June 14th 2017 Seth Grossman a father from Rockaway New Jersey came home from work like any other day. He had been waiting for his youngest daughter, Mallory, to come outside so he could take her to cheer practice. But she had been taking some time, so he went inside to look for her. After searching the house with no sight of her, Seth returned to her room and made a discovery straight out of any parent's worst nightmare. He found his daughter's lifeless body in her closet. She had taken her own life. Seth immediately called 911 and EMTs were dispatched to the home and she was taken to a local hospital. Seth followed in the back of the police car. Now I just want to point out that at no point did the police ever suspect Seth or anyone of any foul play ever. However, this is just a protocol when someone dies unexpectedly. Police are sent just to, you know, reassure that there was no foul play. And in this situation, there wasn't. And like I said, they never suspected him. This was just protocol and obviously given the state that he was in which understandably I can't imagine any other parent wouldn't be so extremely distressed I'm really glad that the police were able to take him so that way he didn't have to drive you know in that condition at the hospital the medical team did everything they could to save Mallory but it was no use Mallory Rose Grossman died by suicide at just 12 years old Mallory Grossman was the youngest of two children born to Diane and Seth Grossman. She was described as fun-loving, empathetic, and kind, and was an incredibly gifted gymnast and cheerleader. I've actually seen footage of Mallory doing gymnastics specifically. Um, There is a documentary directed by Ash Patino, who I have interviewed on this podcast. She is an incredible director. This film is just absolutely amazing and... It really gives you an in-depth look into Mallory's life. But in this movie, in this documentary, which I will link down below, it's on Amazon Prime. If you're a Prime member, you can find it that way. Um, If not, like I said, I'll have the link for it in the show notes. But 
you know, there is footage of her doing gymnastics and she is just incredible. And it is so obvious that she just has this natural raw talent. I mean, I've never studied gymnastics to that level ever. I think maybe I've only ever done a year of it in my life, but I have danced the majority of my life. And I think when you are someone who just, you know, studies movement and whatnot and coordination and things like that, um, you don't necessarily have to be like an expert in the opposite thing. Like I feel like gymnasts could point out an extremely talented or raw talented dancer and vice versa. So for me anyway, I could just see right away that she just had this raw natural talent and she's just insane. I mean, her ability to balance on her hands and just control her body the way that she was able to at 12 years old to me is just insane in all of the best ways possible. And I think Simone Biles, the goat herself, would agree with me, you know, that Mallory was also very good (laughs) at gymnastics and cheerleading. And just, like I said, you know, had that raw talent and she was just a force to be reckoned with. Mallory was also humanitarian. Her family would frequently go to Camp Good Days, where Mallory would make and sell bracelets to campers and donate the profits to various organizations that benefited children with cancer. Mallory was really just upset at the idea that there were children who were really sick and either maybe couldn't go to camp or, you know, just the overall thought of you know, thinking maybe you might not make it because of this. And that really bothered her. So she really wanted to do something that would really benefit them and help them. And I know I say this about most victims on this podcast, and I really do truly mean it. I mean, I think Mallory is just fucking awesome. I can see myself at 12 years old being best friends with her, you know, and again, it's just so, so sad that we are missing out on this beautiful soul and her light and everything she could have achieved and all of, you know, she was already doing good and trying to spread some joy and happiness in the world. And now we won't have that from, we don't have that from her anymore. And it's just, it's really sad. The start of the 2016, 2017 school year was the first year of middle school for Mallory. She was going to a new school and it would have lockers and it was just something new. It was A fresh start, if you will. But sadly, things quickly soured in October when a group of girls decided to bully Mallory. Some of the things they would say were, you know, your thighs jiggle, you're fat, you have no friends. And this one in particular just makes my blood boil. I don't know when the fuck kids started saying this, but they would also tell her that she should kill herself. Again, I don't know when the fuck that started, but holy fuck, why? (laughs) Why? I, I don't get it. This bullying continued throughout the school year, and of course not just in school, because today's technology, bullying has gone beyond the classroom, or even the school building for that matter, and has transcended to the online world. Now bullies can torment their victims not only at school, but from the comfort of their own homes, Victims are now getting zero reprieve from the abuse and are left to be in a state of constant triggering. If you want to know more about the effects of bullying on, you know, either those who have been bullied and those who bully um, last week's episode, I highly suggest you check that out. 
I went into detail really about the psychology and everything about it. So if you want to learn more specifically about bullying and how kind of how bullies become bullies, check out that episode. Mallory's parents did everything they could to intervene and get the school to handle this increasingly devastating issue. As time went on, things only got worse. Mallory's grades began to slip, and she was forced to eat lunch in the guidance counselor's office because no one would let her sit at their table at lunch. To say that the school was dropping the ball is an understatement. In one instance, Mallory was put in a room with her bullies and told to hug it out. I mean, these are supposed to be adults who have training in child development and child education. And I cannot fathom how they could be so fucking stupid. I mean, asking a victim of abuse to not only be in a room with their abuser, but to have to make physical contact like a hug? That's just batshit crazy. No adult would want to have to do that. It's like, and I know this might sound extreme, but it's like if you have a rape victim be in the room with her rapist and have to shake his hand. It's just... It's completely unreasonable, and it's completely abhorrent. Mallory's mother had even reached out to some of the parents of the bullies, and of course she was met with, my child wouldn't say that, my child wouldn't do that, and just overall denial. Which, let me tell you, that's some A++ fucking parenting right there. I mean, it's no wonder these kids grew up to be bullies. Clearly, they were never held accountable. And, I mean, (laughs) you know, I'm all about people making their own decisions, but God, like, how, how do you have a child and then just not want them to grow up to be the best person possible? Why would you constantly not hold them accountable? Like, that's just not okay. And by not holding accountable... Or by not holding their children accountable, they're also not really finding the source of what's going on with them and why they need they feel the need to bully. Because they're, you know, generally people who are hurt go on to hurt other people. So if they're hurting her, there must be something going on with them. And clearly it just seems like these parents do not want to dive into those issues. Honestly, though... <laughs> I wish those assholes were never allowed to have children. I wish you had to take a fucking test. But I digress. Mallory was set to start a new school in the following fall. But despite all the support from her friends and her family, the consistent mental and emotional abuse was just too much to handle. And I don't even like saying it that way. But because Mallory was a strong girl... But quite frankly, I think any adult in that situation of just being consistently mentally and emotionally abused day after day after day, in person, online, it would be too much for any grown-ass adult to handle, even an adult in therapy. So I can't, I can only imagine the hell that Mallory was living through. And sadly... She ended her life four days before summer break. Now, since then, the bullies have not been expelled because I know you all want to know that information. Um, You know, they are still minors, so I 
obviously don't have names. And that is really the only information that I can give you, given that they are minors. Since Mallory's death, Diane and Seth have gone on to continue Mallory's legacy of humanitarianism and have founded Mallory's Army, an organization that educates students, teachers, administration, and parents about bullying and ways to prevent it. They are also working with lawmakers and educational systems to create better systems of handling bullying and protecting victims of bullying, which I honestly have no clue how they are able to do this. I don't know that I would be that strong after experiencing such an intense loss like that. And the fact that they are able to not only just get out of bed in the morning, but that they continue on with Mallory's legacy and, you know, make sure that what happened to her doesn't happen to anyone else. I just think is so admirable and just so inspiring. So with that, let's get into the interview with Diane Grossman, Mallory's mom. Hate your crime friends. If you're like me, you love personalized merch and you love shopping local. So here is one of my favorite local vendors to buy from. It's Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. My friend Mandy makes the most incredible personalized crochet goods and decor for your home. Spooky season is coming up. She has some of the coolest Halloween designs. So go follow her on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. Again, that's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And place your order with her today. So my guest today is someone I truly find very inspiring. When I heard about this case and this woman, I just knew I needed to sit down and talk with her. She is a successful entrepreneur and humanitarian. She is the founder of Mallory's Army, Mallory's mom, Diane Grossman. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for such a warm introduction. I'm honored to share our story. So I did a little overview of Mallory's story, but being that you're her mom, can you just give us like a brief description of what Mallory was really like throughout her life? Because obviously you're the Um, best person. That's my favorite part. Um, Mallory was the all-American little girl. Um, She truly was when when you envision um, a girl playing in the yard or you see something that's what Mallory, she, that's what Mallory was. She loved nature. She loved being outside. She loved arts and crafts. Um, and she was genuinely a true humanitarian. Um, and she had deep compassion for, um, children with cancer. And, um, it really bothered her that children for no reason, um, had to suffer with such an extreme illness and that there were thoughts that they would not survive it. And so that really bothered her and it always stuck with her that she wanted to do something to leave her mark um, in their lives. And there were so many examples of um, Mallory in that. So she just was a great little girl. That's, I just, every 
anything. Um, and I don't say that just as her mom, but people who knew her, um, you know, she was a, a good kid. She was a, you know, she followed the rules. She was very sensitive. And I, and I say that at the end as my introduction, because sensitivity, children who are extremely sensitive, that is the number one characteristic for children who self-harm. And so, and I say self-harm because not all children die from this um, experience. So um, yeah, she was extremely sensitive. Things about life bothered her. So. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I actually watched the video, Mallory, that Ash Patino directed. I had her on the yeah. podcast. She's incredible. And watching the home footage of her, I was just like, oh my gosh, like she is someone at 12 years old who I would have been best friends with. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. she just seems so lively, always wanted to have fun and was funny, you know, like she was very funny. I would say she was relatively quiet. Like her circle was very small. Mm -hmm. And I say that so that parents can learn from, you know, our journey, but her circle was small. She looks like the child that would be wildly popular and all of those things, but she wasn't. She was actually, her circle of friends was relatively small, but she liked it that way. I think she kept her circle small for a reason. She wanted to um, be really close to someone and she didn't have like lots of friends. She just had these little group. And, but if you were in her group, she genuinely loved you. Yeah. Now, obviously bullying is something very close to you and your world. How have like the common practices for anti-bullying and bullying in schools and the consequences and things, how has that differed from the time of Mallory's death up until this point? Well, I think we're more mindful of it. I think one of the issues that we have to, the, the first thing that we have to tackle is this is not 1986 and our bullying experience today is significantly different than it was. I had someone recently say when she would get bullied, they would prank call her house. And what did we do? In the 80s and 90s, we took the phone off the hook so that, that, that they could no longer reach us, so they could no longer violate us. That's not the case anymore. We don't take the phone off the hook because we now have something called fear of missing out, FOMO. That is a real, that's a real symptom of our addiction to electronics. So this symptom of fear of missing out interferes with our ability to build resilience. So therefore, since children have raised the bar, they're no longer crank calling you and saying your refrigerator's running. And uh, it's, it's, we don't talk like leave it to beaver anymore. So mm -hmm. the problem with it is, is technology goes a thousand miles an hour and legislation goes at a snail's pace. It can take years to, to develop consequences. And there is still some belief that kids will be kids. And because we dismiss it as, well, they're just being kids. I was picked on as a kid. And I, I'm very open about that, that I, I came from a relatively low income um, experience and I was made fun of. But the difference of it is, is number one, it ended at school and no one ever told me to kill myself. No one ever told me I wasn't worthy of living. They didn't want to play with me and they didn't let me sleep over. But that was as far as the exclusion went. Mm -hmm. I was never told that I wasn't worthy. And I think that we have to really think about that. The consequences 
for this type of behavior is not strong enough because again, we don't teach, we don't treat children because they're juveniles like we do adults. Mm-hmm. We don't start putting systems and consequences in place. Um, bullying is defined the same as hazing, right? It's literally considered the same, but at 18, it's a felony. As a child, it's corrective behavior. So we have to decide as parents, do we want to correct this behavior as a juvenile or do we want to bail them out of jail as a felony? And that's literally as as stern as I can be is you pick your poison and which one you want to navigate. It is much easier to correct behavior to a child than it is to hire a lawyer and get your kid out of their consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like psychology is not really taken as seriously or mental health. So I feel like in those certain circumstances, like some people could really benefit from mental health and understanding that developmentally, you know, you need to correct problems in a child or else, like you said, they're going to grow up to be, you know, an adult, you have to bail out of jail because that problem wasn't corrected. Correct. And I think there's a couple of things we could be doing. Number one, I think that we could be doing, I I think that, um, again, I have no degree, so I don't ever pretend this is just my perspective and my experience. Um, But I think that we could be diagnosing um, mental illness a lot earlier in children. Um, If we believe that schizophrenia and bipolar and these mental disorders, if we believe that those are you're born with them, which I do, I believe, then I think that as parents, we could be diagnosing. I think there are a lot of pediatricians that will diagnose some of these issues as different behaviors, ADHD, you know, just throw a Band-Aid, throw medication at it. So number one, I think we need to be diagnosing mental issues much earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you can deal with them much earlier, right, it's much easier to have healthy eating habits than it is to lose weight. Right. Tackle it like that. So that's number one. I think we need to, I think we need to stop real, understand that when we use the words, like you shouldn't let it bother you or just ignore them. I think we, as a society need to understand that that's no longer a solution, but what the solution can be is to understand how resilience is built, emphasize emotional intelligence. If it's good enough for Ivy League, then it should be good enough. If we start talking about family life and health, and I'm not talking about necessarily boy, girl, gender identity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding that when my head hurts and my heart hurts, that's not only a normal symptom, but it is something that you discuss. If you have a headache or if your kid has a bruise on their arm, you take them to the doctor. If your child has cancer, you take them to an oncologist. But we seem to have this disconnect with being able to take our children to a mental health provider because of the stigma. And I, mm-hmm. me speaking out and sharing and, and showcasing Mallory as an everyday normal child, um, I think we need to understand the impacts of resiliency, um, relational bullying. I think there needs to be a lot more education from the administrative staff. Um, And I think parents have to be okay with their kid being the bully and Mm -hmm. using corrective measures to change that behavior. Hurt people hurt. Mm -hmm. So I think that if child is bullying someone, rather than taking it as a personal attack on your parenting style, if you set back and say, oh, my kid is misbehaving or acting out, let me learn how I can help them not do that. 
then I think we'd be a better society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> what was your deciding factor in deciding to create Mallory's Army? I didn't want to. Um, I, matter of fact, I remember it was the day after or the day after. Um, there was a couple of days after everything happened and my um, Mallory's best friend, Bianca, at the time, her mother contacted me and said, you know, you have to speak about this. If anybody's going to talk and talk about this, it's going to be you. And I remember sobbing and saying, I just didn't want my child to be the poster child for bullying, suicide. I mean, it was even hard for me to even say self-harm or suicide or to use that language. Um, Even still to this day, when you hear the terminology of suicide or self-harm, you think, well, there's got to be something else going on. And I think that me speaking out and sharing that our children are extremely impulsive, extremely impulsive. And I think that impulsive suicide is a cry for help in today's climate of who we are as a society. Children are no longer trusting us to help them. They are solving their own problems. So because of all of that, Kati really encouraged me. She's like, Diane, you have the gift of gab. (laughs) So it was kind of against my wishes, but that's how Mallory's Army, I didn't name it. I didn't pick the colors. I, this literally was an organic response to what happened to Mallory. I think that in 2017, the community, we hadn't really talked about teen suicide. We really hadn't talked to, even in 2017, the CDC released really strong information and strong numbers that teen suicide among ages 10 to 18 was on the rise. It was going faster than they could get the information out. And I think Mallory just happened to be the poster child, for lack of better words, for something that was brewing. And I think that over the last couple of years with COVID and now the attention of us speaking, I think now mental health and mental awareness is definitely a hot topic. Um, I still don't think we have the infrastructure to support it yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the really cool things that I like that you do with Mallory's Army, for those of you who don't know, essentially Mallory's Army is an organization, a humanitarian organization that focuses on helping students, parents, faculty, administration understand bullying and kind of guide them through steps and tools on how to handle these situations in their own schools. But I really like that you started this uh, series called The Parent Project. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think that again, our children are suffering in so many different areas. And so I think that, you know, suicide is one avenue of behavior with consequences. So is um, eating disorders, so is self-harm. You know, not everybody dies from Mm self-harm. And so I think that um, having discussions and conversations about, um, you know, it's so easy for parents to say, you know, my child is gay and, but to understand that a child coming out, what their journey is like, you know, I, I happen to live in the Northeast. And so there's a different type of acceptance, but having family members and having experienced a different type. So I thought it was important that we showcase those stories, that we talk about that to give parents little sound bites of things that could be going on. Mallory's 
self-harm was, I always say her first attempt was her only attempt. But I think that there are children that um, have different types of behaviors that we like to showcase. And so the parent project was my attempt to showcase other stories, whether it be self-harm, whether it be suicide, whether it be um, eating disorders, whatever the challenge is, was to really kind of come out and give parents kind of like behind the scenes talking points of how they can have those conversations with their kids. Which I think that is just so important, especially for teenage children, because obviously in your teenage years, you don't want to tell mom and dad anything. You don't want them to know what's going on. I mean, you I are remember kind of Mallory on the day that we went, the day she died the day that we were at the school. I remember Mallory saying, you just made it worse. And that was her perception was bringing it to the administration's attention. She knew in her head what the repercussions of that was going to be. And I think that a lot of children, parents will say to me, my daughter's my best friend. And I'm like, no, your daughter's not your best friend. Um, your daughter is manipulating you to get the things that she wants by you thinking mm -hmm. best friend. I think that um, children often use that to navigate their, their parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, though, there's definitely like a secrecy. And like you said, like the repercussions that they think are going or that they know are going to come from a parent intervening in a situation where it's 100% reasonable for a parent to intervene. It's just, of course, at the age mentally, you're not you don't have that full understanding or you don't your brain isn't ready to handle it. necessarily. Right. And I don't tell my parents everything to this day. And I tell everybody and I don't tell my parents everything. So for parents to go into it and say, well, I follow my kid online and I do this and I look at their this, like nobody was closer to their child than I was to Mallory. Um, but it's that impulsive behavior. It's that the things that they don't tell us that we should know that we should really be mindful of. And mm -hmm. I think that if you could hear one thing or one sound bite or take away one, one little element from what me sharing my story and it opens you up to have a conversation with your children that you normally would never have, right? I would never have said to Mallory, are you thinking of, of hurting yourself? It would have never entered my mind to have that strong conversation. Now in obviously hindsight, I should have had those conversations. I should have been a little bit more open to. Um, and I think that there is plenty of <clears throat> information out there that can help us through it. 13 reasons why is an mm -hmm series to have an in-depth conversation with your child about what goes on at high school parties. Um, I think there's a lot of information, Mallory, the movie, learning from our story, you know, everything about us looks like Mallory should be the bully rather than the victim. Show that one in four children are bullied at school. It is no longer just about race and gender identity and all of those things. A child like Mallory can be picked on, made fun of, and her first attempt at suicide was successful. This is the conversation that we need to be having among all parents. Mm -hmm. There's one quote on your website. It says, don't just teach kindness, be kindness. And I absolutely love that because I think it is so important for us to understand that kindness isn't a passive thing. It's a very active thing. And you can be that and choose to be that. Yeah. Where did the origins of that come from? Was that something someone had said or? I, I'm sure it came from, you know, one of our meetings or what have you. But I always say to parents, your children are watching you, right? Like 
our children are great observers of, and so when it says don't just talk about being kindness, it means that it's really about being mindful and being present when your children are watching you because they are mimicking your behavior. If you are constantly on your device while they're trying to talk to you and you're scrolling, that mindful scrolling, if you're on your device watching television when you should be engaged in your family movie night, if you are texting while driving, our children are watching us and they learn from that behavior. And so I think it's really about setting examples and opportunities when your children are watching for them to do the same thing. If you're in the grocery store line and you have a giant cart filled with everything, you know, two weeks worth of groceries, and the person behind you has a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk, let them go in front of you, right? Like recently did that and the guy was so shocked. And I could see it in his face, how he saw my cart and he saw what he had. And he was like, oh, you could just see the, like, I have to stand here and wait for her. And I saw his natural body reaction. And I looked at him and I said, you can go before me. And he was shocked that I offered that. I did it organically because that's who I am. But in that same moment, my daughter, Carly, was standing right beside me and she watched me. And it was soon after that, that she had her own moment of opportunity to do it. So these little moments of teaching kindness isn't just about, it's a, it's, it's like referencing nine, instead of nine 11, you reference nine 12, right? It was the day Mm -hmm. after when people really cared. I think that's really what needs to come to the core of who we are is where Mallory's army, the little blue band comes into place. There's actual Ivy league data that supports Wearing the blue band is like tying a string around your finger to remember to be the good in the world, right? Or remembering to pick up milk and bread. Blue band reminds us to be the good. And there's actual Ivy League data that supports wearing that. And I think that that's where Mallory's Army comes into is we teach children to put this bracelet on, remember, and it's kind of a reminder of that. And so while it doesn't necessarily get rid of bullying, it can definitely reduce it by more than 30% in your school system. Definitely. And it gives them the bracelet gives them something tangible and holds them accountable. I also think, yes. And it's, it's like being in a club, right? Everybody wants to fit in. We live in a society now where our identity is extremely important. That's another thing that we, as you know, my generation needs to understand is that we grew up, we, I had no identity. I was just a kid, right? I had no identity. Whereas today children literally their identity is very important to who they are. And this Mallory's Army Band allows them to be a part of something that's greater than themselves. So they feel, even though I don't have anything special maybe about this, I can fit into this arena. I identify with Mallory or I identify with Mallory's mission and the things that she's trying to accomplish through us. I would say Mallory's the stone, we are the ripple effect. I love that analogy. That's really beautiful. Thanks. You're welcome. Now, what is, I, as I mentioned, you go to the schools and you talk to kids. What is that experience like? What can they expect when they are coming to the assembly, essentially, to sit and listen to you? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I, asked a, um, I asked someone to give me some honest feedback. And he's like, Diane, sometimes you sound a little firm and a, a little angry. And, you know, our presentation is not the fist pumping, loud music, 
get on board the bus kind of presentation. It's very somber. And I say that during my presentation, which is about an hour long, there are two types of people that cry. Children that need to be apologized to and children that need to do some apologizing. I think my talk is real. You know, I talk very off the cuff. It's not scripted. It's I'm sharing past, present, and future. The past is what bullying used to look like and why our children are not as resilient as they used to be. And it truly is linked directly to the devices and lack of socialization. There's no other way that you can describe it other than the phone has become their mall. And so we have to remember that if the mall closes at nine o'clock, their phone needs to close at nine o'clock. It's called social media. And it's really isolating journey for many people. The present, I think that we dismiss the little subtleties that happen throughout a child's day that really changes the characteristics of who they are. You know, calling someone a bitch, calling someone a whore, pulling their hair when no one's looking, laughing at them secretly, the eye rolls, the whispering behind them, but looking at them while you're whispering, whether you're talking about them or not, you're sending the message that I'm talking about you. Yes, are those all things that we could dismiss, but when they happen over and over and over again, it, to me, it's no different than domestic violence. If a woman is living in a marriage where she is every day told how useless she is, we understand that that is domestic violence. Well, we need to understand that that same domestic violence takes place in the hallways of our children's schools, and they don't have the brain development to dismiss it and say, well, that's no big deal. If we allow a woman to live in an abusive situation and we understand that it's abusive and we can put systems in place to protect her, then we really should be doing the same thing for our children. So those are what my talks are about. I'm very real. I'm very open. I'm very honest. Um, I'm raw. And I think that's what makes us so powerful is I'm extremely vulnerable in my experience. I cry with the kids. And I want them to genuinely know that I understand what they're going through. But this is a situation of reverse mentoring. We have to be open to allowing those children to educate us, the ones that are in. We need to listen to them. And they're telling us that this experience through social media is too much for them. They're mm -hmm. never going to turn it off because they're fear of missing out. So we have to be the parents. We have to be the ones to step in and say, your mall closes at nine o'clock. Schools have to be prepared to say, you're not going to have phones at school. I know every parent's going to say, well, I want the phone call when, the, when there's a school shooter. I want to be able to get in touch with my kids. I respect that and I understand that. But 911 needs one phone call. Mm -hmm. They don't need 10 kids calling them, telling them there's an active shooter. I think that we have to put some real actions and verbs in our sentences to start making changes. The devices are becoming so far advanced in giving our children access to content they are not mature enough to navigate, and they are literally dying as a result of it. Mm -hmm. We need to, it, it's, this is a crisis that we need to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. That and it's just changing the whole landscape of bullying to begin with. Like you said, before we had devices, it was it happened at school and then you went home and then you could kind of relax in your safe place. But now your phone has become also a source to continue the experience that you're having in school with bullying at home 
So there is no that is just it's idiots. No? It's so when that was brought to my attention when Jen and I were talking, and she said, Well, when I was called fat at school and they would call my phone, I would just take the phone off the hook. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you're so right. Children can't take the phone off the hook anymore. If you tell your kids that you're going to take their device, the panic that is in place, we have to acknowledge the psychological damage and the psychological connection of losing that phone. What it's for children, it's not a phone, it's a mini computer. And it gives them direct access to, to pedophiles, to people will abuse them, people that will navigate them, take their information. Like there's so much wrong with this that we have to start putting systems in place and we have to start holding the app companies responsible. We have to start holding parents accountable. Um, Systems have to be willing. I always say you have to be willing to piss off 10% of the population so that 100% of us can be saved. Mm -hmm. I mean that sincerely. I know that 10% of the parents don't want to hear that their kids can't have their phone at school. Well, I need to get in touch with them. I need this. I'm telling you right now, they don't need it, right? Call the secretary, leave a message at the front desk mm-hmm. to text your kid at school. And no one wants to hear that, but it is the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we haven't been doing this before, you know, it's like just because we got new technology doesn't mean we always need to use it at every single second for every single thing. Right. I think kids have lost their ability to be patient. Um, I think there are so many different things that have happened. Like you know, it's instant gratification. There's no longer this patience. I think children are lacking with creativity because they're not bored anymore. There's so many, there's so much data that is out there to support the things that we are saying. Um, Boredom is good. It, It inspires creativity, right? But we constantly have that device in our hand and we're constantly, you know, strolling to see. And I, I think a huge issue with some of that. Yeah. For my last question, and I wanted to know personally, yeah, what are some action steps that anyone can take when they see someone being bullied? I'm someone who watches three small children when I'm not doing this. So sometimes that situation comes up. Sometimes they bully each other, sibling rivalry things. You know, what is something that I can do or that anyone or any adult could do when they see this happening to help the situation not escalate any further? I personally think um, you know, we use the word investigation a lot when it comes to school systems. So I, I think that um, when a victim, when someone comes to you and says that they're being bullied or they're being hurt, I think the first thing we should say is, tell me more. We're so quick to check the box and say, oh, my kid's being bullied or parents are quick to send an email. I think sometimes it's really important that our kids are, are trying to talk to us. We're so busy being their best friend or we're so busy cooking dinner and navigating the, the phone ourselves. So I always say, pause and say, tell me more. If I could tell one stu- school ca- guidance counselor, one thing is when a co- kid comes to you and says, this is happening to me, don't be ready to write everything down. Don't be ready to file a report. Just quietly sit and say, I'm listening. Tell me more. Sometimes children have the solutions to their own problems, but we're not prepared to listen to them, right? We use the word investigate. So what does the word investigate mean? It means I don't believe anything that you told me, and I'm going to ask all of your peers if what you're telling me is true. Why would a child ever come to us and do so? So I think, number one, learn to say, that's interesting, tell me more. Or I'm sorry to hear that, tell me more, and let them talk. I think... From a parent's perspective, 
You need an electronic contract with your kids. What do you expect in your home, right? Set the guidelines. Are, set guidelines in place on how they're going to use the technology, when they're going to use it, and stick by that. Understand your child's currency. Not every child has the same currency. Um, and so when you can identify what your child's true currency is, then that becomes the leverage point of when you take away the phone and when you don't, right? Mm -hmm. If technology is your mall, the mall closes at nine o'clock. And as far as school systems, stop using the words no zero tolerance. There yeah. is such thing as zero tolerance. Of course we have tolerance for this. It's called behavior. Bullying is nothing more than really bad behavior. So if we attack this bad behavior and learn to navigate it and to defer this behavior, or when someone says so-and-so is behaving this way, hurt people hurt. I think it would be really productive for us to dive in and see what's going on. Maybe the kid is stressed. Maybe they're feeling insecure, whatever it is. And as far as pediatricians, I think that you should put systems in place where you start having conversations very early on history of mental illness in the family. Um, I think we should be doing um, blood testing, neurological exams. I think there's a lot more in the medical community that we could be doing to answer some of these questions. I think schools need to stay in their lanes. I think parents need to stay in their lanes um, and make sure that while you complement each other, schools should not be parenting and parents should not be expecting schools to parent. Mm -hmm. So that's my best advice um, for this. And I think that the number one thing I could say is if you see your child um, changing personality or changing certain habits or stopping certain behaviors that were positive, I think you have to have the conversation. Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? And most parents are afraid to have that conversation, mostly because they're afraid of the answer. Mm -hmm. and so, um, but if you know that your child has thought about hurting themselves, then that's good because then you can get them the help that they need um, to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Diane. This was such a wonderful interview. You are such a pleasure to speak with. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much for hosting us and sharing. Um, please follow us at Mallory'sArmy.org. Um, and please, the best thing that you can do today is watch the film Mallory. Um, it is a great documentary. People say to me, Diane, I don't want to watch it because it's sad. And I always say, yeah, it has some sad moments in it but at the end of the day the film is such an uplifting story about what you do when something really horrible happens to your family and so I hope to lead by example in my life and sharing my story and I hope people will watch our what I like to refer to as an ABC um, school special Mallory so thank you for ha having me absolutely and I will have the link for that in my show notes so if you want to find it, you can just click the link and go right to it and watch it. Thank you all so much for checking out this week's episode. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media, at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok, and at TC and Academia on Twitter. I will have a bonus episode coming out this Friday. It is for subscribers only. So if you want to have access to that, go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Then you will have access to not only this month's bonus episode, but all of the bonus episodes that I have recorded thus far. And until next week, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay safe out there and I will see you later. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to the fall season. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary. Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, a podcast, well, a true crime podcast that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter at TC and Academia because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon and True Crime and Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of John JonBenet Ramsey and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Bye, Bye everyone. <laughs>